Welcome to In Season, where we explore the farms, gardens, and wild spaces of the lower Columbia Pacific region. I'm Teresa Retzloff, and I am sitting here on a beautiful piece of property with Julie Hackett and John Hall of Laughing Rabbit Farm. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It is so nice to be here. Um, we're in the Lewis and Clark area of Clatsop County. You guys have traveled far and wide. You've been farming for many, many years, both of you. What drew you to the North Oregon coast and, um, and this piece of land? Hmm. Yeah, it has been an interesting journey. We have farmed in both the northeast of Canada as well as in central uh, southern California, so two vastly different places. Um, but it's we very different. Yeah, <laughs> very different climates. Um, but we uh, have family in Portland, and most of my family is in this region, the northwest. So we wanted to be closer to family and also have had our eyes on Astoria as a place to come and farm for probably about eight years since we came back to mm. um, Oregon. Wow. Uh, yeah, so it's you've been, great to you've be been here. eyeing this spot for <laughs> we a while. Have. We've been eyeing it for a while. That's fantastic. Mm. And John, what about you? I mean, I, I just, whenever you open your mouth, people can tell that you've traveled <laughs> a ways. Yeah, um, it's been quite a journey. I, I was born in Papua New Guinea and I grew up in, um, in Australia. And yeah, <laughs> I don't know where to start, what to say, but yeah, it's, it's been, been, you know, I don't want to sound too old, but yeah, 30 years of farming in very different areas. I, we both traveled through this area, yeah, about eight years ago, and I just fell in love with the community. And um, when we came back and we were looking for some land just uh, a year or so ago, we've had this place. And talking to small businesses in Astoria, it was so supportive over COVID and uh, was so welcoming. So tell us a little bit about this piece of land that you purchased and, you know, maybe what what the challenges were. Um, I, I honestly, I don't want to say as I drove up, I would never know that this is the first year that you've been farming. It already looks like a pretty established farm. So what you've done in a year is amazing. Um, but w tell us about this land. Yeah, we really, um, we really took it on this year. We wanted to put our roots down. We have leased a lot of land and our last lease ended up being a blessing in the sense that it didn't work out and uh, set us on our journey to look for our own little piece of land. So we found this spot last June and put an offer down and it took us till October to actually close. Yep. So we were sitting there like, oh gosh, we're gonna miss the season. We wanted to get a greenhouse up. We wanted to turn the field into a cover crop. And so settling here in October was a challenge in itself in that we had a big grassy pasture to try and get turned and uh, planted into a cover crop before the rain set in. And also, you know, it was a late season to get that going. So we put our greenhouses up over the winter, built a small cold room and processing and got ourselves going because we were determined to get to the market this year. So I, just, I have so <laughs> much really... awe, I have so much awe in respect for that is a in. huge amount of work. Yeah, it is a huge amount of work. Tell us about the crops that you focus on. I mean, I know you maybe have broader, broader ideas, but like right now you're focusing on some really specific crops. So we are, we have salad greens um, primarily as our main crop. Uh, we knew that we could start in a small space, like we could grow enough to possibly you know, present a nice market table um, off of essentially a small greenhouse and a small section of our field that we were able to um, turn from pasture to gardenable soil 
before the uh, the market season set in. So it's an intensive crop, and we just felt that it was something we could bring to the market right away. Um, Mm-hmm. And so far, um, folks are really loving it. So we're really appreciative of the of the return customers we have that support us. Um, but we're also we have our eye on medicinal crops as well. So I we've both studied um, some herbalism myself um, particularly, and have grown medicine crops. So a lot of you know the things that folks might be familiar with, like chamomile and echinacea, but some of those other less known. Herbs. So I would love to eventually develop those crops a little bit more alongside some of those familiar things like salad greens. So right now you do the Astoria Sunday Market. Do you do any other farmers markets or just that one right now? That's it this year. We'll hope to grab another market next year. Sounds great. So I just think it's really cool that you always have an urn of tea, of herbal tea there that people can have a sample of. And I think it started out hot tea, but it's shifted to an iced tea as we've had some warmer months in the summer. But it's delightful and your blends are really cool. And it's, I'm a, a big fan of herbal tea, but it's fun to see the list of things that you've included in it and taste those. Have you had good response to that? I mean, yeah, that's actually one of my favorite parts. It's something we offer that's free and it's a great conversation starter. And so many of those plants grow really well in this area. So, you know, again, it's such a great climate for the crops that you're starting with. Leafy greens mm-hmm. just seem to be so appropriate for our region. They yeah. like these kind of cooler coastal weather. Mm. Um, what you, you do a couple of different mixes of salad types. What are you, what, how do you differentiate, mi- differentiate your mixes and uh, what kind of different plants are you growing in them? Yeah, I mean, you know, the salad blend, of course, is a base of all those beautiful different textures and colors of lettuces. Um, but we like to put in, you know, like a typical spring mix. We'll put in some of the other types of mustards. And some folks like it spicy with arugula and some of the spicier mustards. So we put a blend together that's got some of that more flavorful mustard range. And some folks like it mild. So some of them have like a kale and um, other mild flavored mustards. So we try and, and also I put little edible flowers um, for interest and joy. I mean, food is also art and you should uh, visually, I think you should enjoy looking at your food also. Uh, So we put little edible flowers in there and Um, Hopefully it's a delight of color and texture and taste as well. Watching you guys over the last few months as I, you know, met you at the market and then seeing your business evolve and then now coming to visit your farm and having started my own farm also just from pasture grass and then transforming it. There's a lot of challenges that first growing season. What are some of the things that you're experiencing as you take your land from just grass to crops? If you don't follow them on uh, social media, um, Julie just posted the most heartbreaking video recently of them just mm. flame weeding a bed of lettuce crops or salad greens because it had cabbage loopers. Cabbage looper moths. And sure. um, there was nothing else you could do. You had to just destroy it. And that's a hard choice to make. So what are some of the other challenges you're finding? The ground itself is being taken from, yeah, like you said, a pasture mix, which is not really what salad greens or vegetables like to grow in. So the transition is pretty steep um, in that we wanted to be at the market this year. So it's been a little bit of a push to get the ground ready 
in, in terms of the biological activity that needs to be in the ground, the settling of the ground, so the pH and all the, the, the ground stuff can be there for the plants to grow. Pest and beneficials, uh, yeah, it's way out of balance, um, as any farmer or garden would know when you're first breaking land. So we have a lot more pests than beneficials, but um, good good farming management, um, which we're changing over to row covers and trap crops and using beneficials, um, importing beneficials, um, is going to help us transition a lot quicker. And of course, we're using tons of compost to put back that uh, nutrient base for the biota to grow in and fungi to grow in. Did you get a cover crop zone last fall? Were you able yeah, to? Yeah, we did, but it was overtaken by the weather has been very challenging for me. It, the ground here, um, is uh, silty and it holds the water up near the surface so um, it stayed wet which basically drowned our cover crop and the decomposition that I was hoping would go on with the vast amounts of material, carbon material that we didn't, didn't actually decompose, it just sat in water so that was a big challenge. Um, I had to move through the the plough pan, the hard subsoil, so we can have movement of water up and down. But, but w- yeah. we were talking earlier too that you know it takes time for soil to transition. Like mm. when you when like that first year that you're growing in it, mm. I think you were saying three to five years. Mm-hmm. I've I've experienced like that range mm-hmm. being true that. If you're starting, like if it's your garden and it's just been a lawn or if your farm has just been pasture, mm. it's going to take that long before you really start to see your soil shift, your pH shift, the soil biology really start to happen. So there's a lot of patience involved in these first few years. Yeah, and I'm asking a lot of, of, <laughs> of, of the growing, you know, of, of the soil, you know. So We've there, focused that, intensively that, on maybe a quarter of our field, really. Yeah. And, and the rest of it, we've got planted again into another like summer cover crop mm-hmm. and so the vast majority of it will give it that time and that patience to mm. to transition but we're mm. just intensively focused on that first kind of quarter of our field. Do you see yourselves expanding your crops into more different plants, more vegetables, more produce or do you think you'll, you'll largely stay with this kind of salad mix? I think we'll definitely stay with the salad greens. That's been um, successful and we like growing it. I I love the flowers and the mixes that we make. It's fun. I would love to meet some of the herbalists in the area if there's interest and if people keep enjoying our tea bouquets that we're starting to sell and different things like that, I'd love to bring and introduce those crops to the area. But really we're, we're willing to listen to what the community is looking for. We've been vegetable growers for you know, 20 years together, that's been our focus, and the medicinal herbs has been more of an interest lately. So I'd like to see what we can do with that, but we also are listening to what, what the community needs, and if there's more need for local produce, then we can also expand to those crops as well. And mm. and what does well here? You mm. know, we're still learning that. Yeah, that is a challenge. Mm. And I mean, I've certainly found that more does well here than we think, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe then historically people think it's always fun to experiment. And just even the different microclimates that we have in this region, you know, where you are is going to be very different than, you know, a farm in Nehalem or even my farm out in Olney or someone who's growing out in Napa. You know, you have these little mm-hmm. pockets of where is your sun coming from and what's your soil like and what's the slope and that's are you right. close to the marine influence or are you outside of it? And that's certainly true for, for gardens as well. You know, just that 
it's so much about your location. I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take a brief pause here and say um, it's strange that this is happening in August, but there's a little bit of rainfall happening on us, which is really unexpected, unexpected and interesting. Oh, Teresa. <laughs> you know, I think what I'm gonna do is maybe hit pause and get someplace dry, okay? Okay, we're back. Um, we've uh, had a, a bit of a rain break there. We had to move to a drier spot. Um, if you're just joining us, uh, you're listening to In Season, and I'm talking to Julie and John from Laughing Rabbit Farm in the Lewis and Clark area of Clatsop County. Um, but we were just talking about what a challenging year 2022 has been mm. to start a farm. I feel like this is like part of that broader theme. Um, you've had some extreme wet weather. You've had some pretty extreme heat. Mm -hmm. How are you rolling with that? I think farmers in general are adaptable folk. That's kind of part of what's bred into you never know what the season's gonna bring. And with our experience of farming in such diverse environments, um, we try to just really stay, stay nimble and watch what's going on and accept that some things are gonna thrive some years and th some things are not. It's kind of more of a philosophy of take what you get and make the best of it. John makes it a little bit more into a science, which I appreciate as well. Mm, yeah, we've had to alternate, technically speaking, the height that we're cutting our lettuce at and the spacing we've been manipulating back and forth in row and between plants. Um, so it's it's been a challenge. And because of the weather? Because of the weather, we've had to actually, we, we're changing again. Now we're changing our row spacing, our seeding rate. How does that affect? Because people wouldn't think necessarily, it's like, why would you change your spacing because it's hotter or wetter? When it's hotter, we have, a, we have a more intense spacing. Things are growing faster and we're turning things up faster. As it's slowing down, things are growing slower. And to keep the airflow between the plants, um, and um, we, we need to alternate our spacing. And as things slow down, as the season changes, we alter the cut height. Um, so we're leaving enough energy there for the plant to recover. So there's not really a standard. It, farming is an art and a science. So much observation uh, seems to be key mm -hmm. in figuring out how to make it work and in understanding how plants respond in different climates. And so that's also a challenge, too. If the places mm. that you've been growing in, the climates sound like they've been very different. You go from extreme cold up in Canada to extreme hot in California, and now you're <laughs> in, this in the uh, maritime. maritime coastal yes. climate. That's a learning curve mm. right there. But is it something you're enjoying? You, I mean, John, you seem more attracted to like this, the science and the the understanding um, of like how plants grow and the, the soil biology and things like that. Has that always interested you or have you just come to that in recent years? It's always been an interest to me. Um, I suppose two of my people who've in influenced me the most is um, Rachel Carson's uh, Silent Spring and um, Fukuoka's um, book on uh, natural farming, a Japanese farmer. They've influenced me earlier on. Um, our, one of the other main reasons why we decided to come here is, is climate change. As the weather is changing to drier and more extreme, we've been in intentionally looking at areas that we can um, still farm successfully in a dramatically changing climate. It has been pretty dramatic. I'm just about to have my 20th year here. And you know, even within that time, I've seen patterns, but then these last few years, I feel like 
I'm throwing up my hands and just feeling like I have no idea what's happening right now. Mm. Um, it's a challenging thing to respond to. It is. And it can cause a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. um, how are you guys coping? Are you doing okay? Uh, well, <laughs> we knew we were taking on a big year. So we're okay in the relative sense that we knew it would be hard. Mm -hmm. um, and that we also have the thrill of really settling into a spot that's our own and meeting community. So there are a lot of joys to it. But there have been some big heartbreaks and some like, I don't know if this is going to work. We're sure putting <laughs> a whole lot into it. So there's been, uh, you know, I've lost whole trays of crops that I started in February that I thought um, I could put out sooner and had those surprise frosts come in uh, April and then again in May. That was heartbreaking. Yeah. That was really so, heartbreaking. And it's hard oh. to, you can't anticipate those things. Yeah. And that is something that is so the volatility of farming. I think is something that it's it I think it's part of being a farmer is constantly having that conversation with our customers about why you can't have that crop mm -hmm. or why it's not available or why it's late yeah. or and helping people who don't grow food for a living understand the patterns yeah. of that. And and we're seeing it on larger scale too. I mean I think clearly industrial farming is being affected by climate change too. Yeah. But on mm -hmm. a on a much more local level we're seeing the challenges this year. That's right. Um, this Sunday will be a great opportunity to have those conversations because <laughs> we won't have any lettuce. We'll still have our mustard blends and our arugula and our tea bundles and herbs, but it'll be a great opportunity to have that conversation about what it looks like when you do get a crop failure. It is an opportunity for folks to come and talk and learn about you know, the ways of uh, producing food for a community, but... Um, that is a hard, it's hard. That's a hard one. And and if you are again, if you're just joining us, um, Julie and John had to flame weed one of their lettuce crops because it had been infested with a cabbage looper, and there was just no way to get rid of it. And and I should say, there's no way to get rid of it organically. Mm -hmm. um, so you are not a certified organic farm. I mean, clearly you can't because it's your first year here mm -hmm. anyway. And and you're 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 considering mm -hmm. going for organic certification. What are some of the like pros and cons that you see? in that, because I know different farms in this area have made different choices about that. And, you know, I think local seems like a really important thing too, but I think more, you know, people also really appreciate the certified organic mm -hmm. um, label so that they know. Um, it's true, I mean, so we have been organic farmers um, for, you know, that's the only kind of farming we've ever done. So it is what we practice, but the certification itself is a whole other, step there's a lot to it so um, I mean when I shop anonymously at the grocery store I do rely on that label so I understand the value of like if I have two products and I don't know how they're grown and I'm looking at one that has the certified organic label I'm gonna inherently trust that one a little bit more as far as being good for me and good for the climate um, but when we get a chance to talk to our customers um, it's it becomes less important, I think. We can communicate with customers face-to-face -face about how we grow food and our practices on the land. Um, so it becomes more of a part of our story. This is how we grow and less of a label. So we're still in conversation about whether we'll go through with the certification, um, especially for the medicinal herbs. If, if I'm trying to sell to a, an herbalist who makes a product that has a certified organic label, then everything she buys would need to be certified organic as well. So it may become something that we um, take on and 
we'll just still have that conversation. We have a couple of years to decide before we can apply. It'll be three years before we can apply for certification. And that's simply because you don't know the history of your piece of land. That's right. Yeah. And what was used on it before. And there is a process where certainly if herbicides or pesticides have been used on um, the property, it does take three years um, before you could be certified organic. That's right. And, you know, I think around the house there might be some questions of what was used here before. But out in that field, it has been a overgrown pasture for many, many years before that kind of a logging land landing spot. So um, we feel good about the choice of, you know, we're growing healthy, good food out in that field. And, um, you know, like I said, we'll have that chance to decide whether or not to go for the certification. It is a big challenge, um, you know, organic farming or, or you know, how natural farming, however we want to call it. Um, trying to grow that way, uh, there's, there's challenges. It's much more labor intensive. Um, a lot of weed pressure that you're having to deal with, the pest problems, you can't just spray something and walk away from it. What are some of the ways that you're, you're dealing with that this now? Do you, are there favorite like amendments that you like to use? Hmm. How are you coping with that? And especially in this first year where everything's so out of mm -hmm. balance because you've just basically upended the ecosystem of your pasture. It's no longer a pasture, it's now a farm. Well, my hmm. strategy is to plant all those um, perennials and herbs and flowers that the beneficials are drawn to. So I uh, have probably 30 different herbs and flowers that I put in this year to try and bring those beneficials in. Um, and then, you know, we've, we've put in a lot of compost to try and balance the soil. And then John also, if you want to talk a little bit about your, you know, your compost teas that you make that help balance the, the micro, microbial life of the soil. Yeah, compost teas. Most of the tea I'm using is um, put on, not on a, on a bare crop, but put on the ground or on crops that are not uh, used, you know, like the salad greens. So there, there is a um, intense protocol around compost teas and, and, and food crops, which um, we follow here. So the different kinds of teas are activating different kinds of biota infusing um, different minerals and uh, nutritional elements into the plant, um, especially the salad greens, um, to keep them from going bitter um, so they taste good and they're, so that they're uptaking the nutrients that are going into the, the soil so you're not just getting an MPK organic lettuce, you're actually getting um, food as, as medicine. Um, so that's my approach, is actually looking at the biological and fungi microhorizon activity um, and encouraging that at the same time trying to make money on the farm. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a challenge, isn't it? I mean, you want to care for your soil and encourage that microbiology, but that's labor intensive and time intensive. Mm -hmm. um, but compost tea is a really cool method that I think a lot of farmers have been using in recent years. And you make your own. So are you making your own compost and then making the tea from that? Yeah. So I'm, I mean, it, over the years, it's been going from a biodynamic kind of approach to the teas to more of use of a Korean type of fermentation, um, compost, and um, aeration. So all these processes encourage different biological activity, which I'm looking for as um, the plants, uh, what the plants need at the at specific time and what the soil condition is. So I've got three different blends going on all the time, each doing a 
um, uh, 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 filling a different need of the soil and plant. Do you anticipate that changing as your soil changes? Exactly. So you have to tweak those blends exactly. to adapt as your soil begins to shift and change. Exactly. So it's a lot of paying attention and observation. Uh, it is. It is. I mean, in using like things like horsetail and um, it, you know the the native soil here to encourage nematodes. I mean, the story goes on and on and on about about soil and soil health. So that's what I'm trying to encourage to help the the soil transition to a, um, an environment that can, we can uh, grow, grow our crops in. Yeah. Delicious, healthy crops. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, and soil is a foundation of all of that. I mm. mean, I think it's interesting, we pay so much attention to the plants that come out of the soil, but really, like the soil itself, I think is what we're taking care of. Mm. And then, you know, I, there's, uh, I don't know how many years ago, someone said to me that, that, you know, you feed the soil and let the soil feed the plants. Mm. And that's been something that I've paid attention to and tried to believe and follow, certainly throughout my growing, um, growing career as a mm -hmm. farmer, but, mm. it's, but it is so true. And mm -hmm. you can really start to see how plants respond when you yeah. make sure that the soil is healthy. Yeah, mm. they have an amazing intelligence. They know how to grow into big, beautiful, healthy plants. And mm. I think it's about giving them what they need mm. um, from the roots. Julie, what are some of your favorite um, herbs and flowers and medicinal plants that you're talking about planting here, that you have planted here, that are drawing in those beneficial insects? Mm. And just like as you observe your garden, what are you seeing are the plants that really are drawing in mm -hmm. those those pollinators and beneficial insects that you want to have set up house here? Yeah, um, right now my favorite is the anise hyssop, which mm. is in the mint oh. family. So all those beautiful blooming Love mints. that plant. Yeah, <laughs> not only is it one of the most delicious teas and herbs out there, but it has this gorgeous purple flower that the bees and, and insects love. So I'm a little bit of a bug nerd, so I do go out there and try and see what kinds of little wasps and um, and beneficials are, are being attracted. But also the yarrow is just such an incredible um, flowering crop that brings in all kinds of beneficials as well. And I think those do amazing here. They have responded so well to this climate. So I would love to have rows and rows of them. Um, they bring that kind of um, joy to me. It's my favorite spot in the garden that I go. It's so wonderful again. sometimes, especially this time of year when the bees, it just feels like they're kind of frantic with mm -hmm. collecting pollen. And you can walk up to a row or a group of plants and it's just vibrating exactly. with mm -hmm. bees. Yeah. It's just my favorite thing. I get kind of sucked into it yeah. mm -hmm. and forget other stuff I'm supposed exactly. to be doing. So I'm just watching the bees and noticing all the different kinds of bees. Yeah that are out there, all the different kinds of bumblebees. And I wish I knew how many species there are in Oregon, but it's a lot. Yeah. It's not just one bumblebee. There's like mm. 200 bumblebees. It's amazing. Yeah, so there are some great resources out there. Um, I do look at like the Northwest insect um, websites that tell you the rare ones. And I have seen one rare bumblebee in my little garden. So That's so cool. And clearly it's happy for the things that you're planting here and growing and uh, it's beautiful um, I if you're if you're driving down Lewis and Clark Road you will clearly see their farm it's just so stark and wonderful it pops out at you and it's like oh a farm it's so beautiful and there's flowers and beautiful leafy greens growing you don't um, you don't host people here at the farm 
So how, at least not yet, so how can people find you? Where, if they want to buy from you, um, how they want to find out more about you, how yeah. can they do that? Well, we're every Sunday, we're at the Sunday Astoria Market. Um, we are really enjoying meeting um, the, the local um, the locals here, it's, we've had some great conversations at the market. And then we also are selling on the North, North Coast Food Web. Um, and we'll be able to continue selling on there through the winter, you know, as long as, as we can. We will continue to try and grow in our greenhouse and extend the season. Um, Maybe more farmer's markets in the future? Exactly. We would love to add a farmer's market. Um, we're looking at all the local options. Maybe Seaside, maybe Owaco. Um, yeah, so hopefully we'll expand to other farmers markets. Mm. It's so wonderful to see more farms popping up here in our region. I'm so excited you guys are here and so inspired by what you're doing. Thank you so much for the hard work that you're putting in. Um, again, we're talking to Julie and John from Laughing Rabbit Farm. And thank you so much for everyone who joined us for today's in season. Um, we'll talk to you next time.